was talked about uh, before, for Lent we're sort of looking at uh, the atonement, what Christ did upon the cross, and the different ways the Scriptures uh, reveal that to us and explain that to us and apply that to us. And uh, we did some stuff in Leviticus. Last week we were in Romans and talked about justification. Uh, this week, slightly different, we're going to be in 1 John, and uh, a parallel passage, so to speak, with uh, Romans chapter 3. But the, the, it's really going to hit the idea of love. So why don't we read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 this morning. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, uh, that is going to be over on page 1023. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation, or sacrifice of atonement, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Why don't we pray? Father, we are greatly in need of truth, your truth. Uh, last week you showed us uh, the logic of justifying sinners, and this morning uh, show us the logic of love. Shed the light of your Spirit upon your Word, that we might be encouraged, humbled, convicted, and strengthened according to our need. In the name of Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us, we ask this. Amen. jokingly said that this would be titled, All You Need Is Love. It's not really the title of my sermon. But it's kind of sad to see what happened to the men who wrote and sang that song. You saw that they couldn't even function as a band. They, had, they shortly thereafter split up. And not only that, but all of their marriages fell apart. There was only really one marriage that stood the test of time among those men, and that finally ended in the death of Linda McCartney. They didn't really, they, they sung about love, but they really didn't understand what love really is. Lately, it's been sort of popular to kind of look at the body of Christ, and I'm thinking particularly of, of one book, this is, there are many books that do this. There's a book that came out a few years ago called Unchristian. And what this man did, he, he's actually a pollster, he's kind of a, a young version of George Barna. Okay? It's not George Barna, so no one can accuse me of picking on George Barna today. Uh, but what he did was he polled younger Christians, okay? not old fogies like me, but younger people. And what he found was that many of them were, af- were ashamed or afraid to be considered or called Christians because, this is their main point, of what Christianity had begun to be seen as in the light of unbelievers based on the behavior of his people. 
Okay, catch that. They weren't ashamed of Jesus, but they were ashamed of his people. And in some ways, I can I can kind of go, yeah, 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 all right, I, I I can see that. But in some ways, I can go, well, you know, and I'm wondering if they really grasp what love is. They're wanting us, they're wanting Christians to show love one to another. They, they read this passage and go, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. In fact, that's their cry, that they will know we are Christians by our love. And yet, but they don't, but they, in their assessment of what love is, it hasn't been met. But the question really is, what's God's assessment of love? What is God calling love? The love that we must have for one another that we might be known as his disciples, that love that is revealed even in this text. And so to that, we turn this morning. The big idea is that God loved us so that we can love one another. But I have to start with this reality that is shocking to us, and that is that love is not natural to us. Now, some of you are probably going, wait a minute, Steve. You know, even before I was a Christian, I loved my dog. I loved my parents. Uh, I loved somebody. Wait a moment. Just, just hang with me for a few moments. Okay? Greek is sort of like Eskimo. Okay? When, when it snows, you and I go, oh, snow. But the Eskimos have, I think it's like 43 different words for snow based on the particular kind of snow it is. You know, I, growing up in New England... I knew there's a difference in snow. There's the light, puffy stuff that's very easy to shovel, and then there's the really heavy stuff that you're going to need a compress on your back because it's very hard to shovel. Okay, you you guys who grew up in Colorado, you don't know what the heavy stuff, do you? It's all that light, fluffy stuff. Yeah, no. New England, hard snow. Then if it rains, it's even worse. Okay, Greek is sort of like that in that there are multiple words for love. There's not 43, thankfully. There's only four. Uh, that are typically used, particularly in the New Testament. But they had four, and they all point to different aspects of love or different kinds of love. And one of the most popular of those is phylos, Philadelphia, okay, brotherly love. And that has, that has this idea of a general attraction towards a person or a thing, okay? This is the kind of love that you feel for your friends. You have an attraction for your friends. It could be the love you have for your favorite band. That's kind of the idea. You have an attraction for the music of U2 or Switchfoot. Or those are my bands, okay? Um, you have different bands, and that's all right. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the word that, that kind of communicates that idea of love. When we, you know, because, I don't know, unless you're crazy. You don't die for the Beatles, right? No, no one dies for the Beatles. Um, some women in the 60s wanted to, but that's a long time ago. Second word for love is not very common. It's, it's, it's rather rare, and that is stergos, and that has to do with the idea of affection. It is particularly has the idea of mutual love that you find in family, but it can also be used for the love that one has for their pets or that one has for their rulers. Okay? Yeah. My daughter loves Lulu, the dog. Okay, that's the kind of the concept at work here. Some people, okay, they've never met their favorite president, whomever that may be, but they, that is the love, the devotion that they show towards that person. Okay, that's the idea that is behind Sturgos. Eros. We're all familiar with Eros, aren't we? 
That one comes up a lot. That has this idea of love which desires to have or possess. It is essentially or basically some form, good or bad, of lust. There can be eros in a marriage, and that's a good thing. There's eros outside of a marriage, bad thing. Okay, it depends on the context. But it, but it can also be, I thought of chocolate. Some people's, I don't have this relationship to chocolate, but some people have a, this kind of relationship with chocolate. They must have chocolate. There is a burning desire in them to have chocolate. Okay? Um, I don't quite have that relationship with pistachios, okay, as we talked about last week, but, you know, hopefully we'll never get that way. But the word that is used here is not those words. Okay? We, we all have experience. And so when I, when I say love is not natural to us, I'm not talking about those things because the common man, the man outside of Christ, can experience all of those things. They experience the love of friendship. They experience the love of family. They experience the love of passion. They experience all of those. But that's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about the word agape. That is the only word that is used for love within this, whether it's a noun or a verb, the only word that is used within this text. Agape. Generally speaking, a generous move by one for the sake of another. But I put it down a definition for you that I've thought about over the years. Love as a passionate commitment to the well-being of another at one's own expense. Man, that's a long definition of love, isn't it? <laughs> but you see, it's going, it's going, it, 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 it has some fuzzy feelings, okay, because there's passion involved here. So it is not a dispassionate sort of thing that is going on, but it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it is a commitment that is involved in this. And as a commitment for a particular thing, it is for the well-being of someone else. Okay? And so there's a passion, there's a desire, there's someone else involved in this thing, and you want what is absolutely what is best for them, and you are willing to sacrifice your own stuff to bring it about. That's the love I'm talking about that does not come naturally to human beings. Something must happen. This God-centered love that I'm talking about is what was lost for us in Adam's disobedience. We had it, and then Adam sinned. And now we don't have it. This text teaches us, one, one, among the many things it teaches us, that we do not have this outside of Christ. Okay? This love is from God, as the text says in the very beginning, precisely because it is God who is love. In other words, He is the, the fountain from which this love flows. And if you're not connected to Him, you don't have this. My computer in my office is on right now. Why is it on, besides the fact that I turned it on? I could press that button all day if I wanted to, and it wouldn't go on if it wasn't connected to the power source. Okay? Apart from Christ, we, we can want this love all we want, but we really won't. But, you know, we can call people to this love. That's better. That's like pushing the button on my computer. 
We can call people to this love all we want, and they can't do it because they're not connected to the source of that love, which is God. Why does John bring this up? John brings this up precisely because there was a lot of confusion in the Christian community to which he was writing about who was really a Christian and who wasn't. That's an important question. It's sort of like the question that the the book Unchristian is sort of wrestling with, I think, but they don't really realize they're wrestling with. what What should a Christian really look like? Okay, not what they dress you know, um, not what music they listen to, but what's what's that really look like? And so what John does is he lays out certain tests so that you can see whether someone's profession of Christ is legitimate or counterfeit, okay? Because there were a lot of people then, just like as there are now, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But they weren't really Christians. And one of the tests that John lays out is, because he's the apostle of love, it just makes sense, right? Love. He says that if we do not love, we do not know God. If he says, if we do not love, we have not been born from God. He says later on in this very passage, that I didn't read it, but he says, um, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he, sorry, loves his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you get what he's doing? He's saying, if you're not like God, your claims to be a Christian, are illegitimate. They're false. And one of the primary ways in which we are like God is this thing called love. This passionate commitment to the well-being of another at one's own expense. And so God-centered sacrificial love is something that we are incapable of apart from Christ. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. That God loved His people by meeting their deepest need. That God is love, which is repeated twice in this passage, means that He has a passionate commitment to the well-being of others at His own expense. And it's played out in this very passage. The first issue that is laid out here is that we did not love God. Paul, uh, Sorry, John. I'm so used to saying Paul. It's John. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. One of our primary problems is the fact that we didn't love God. Okay? We were not committed to Him. We had no passion for Him. Our commitment and our passion was to ourselves primarily. Okay? Now, this is key. This is very important. People can do a lot of things that look like righteousness, but do it for the wrong reasons. 
Okay? They can do it because of reputation, for instance. They want to have a good reputation as a business person or as a spouse or as a whatever. And so they may look obedient. They may do what a Christian should do. They may do that which is right. But yet, they're doing it not out of love for God and for other people, but they're doing it out of love for self so that I will look good in the eyes of other people. I will look righteous or smart or sophisticated or hip in the eyes of others. Depending on the community, you want to please, you will do certain things. And so there are people who are in churches, I hope not this one, but they act like Christians because they want the respect and admiration of the people there as opposed to God. And so they just, they're playing the part. You can do that. People do this all the time. Because we have this, this, this innate desire to fit in. And so we fake it. You know? Anyway. So this idea that we did not love God, we were not committed to Him. uh, John puts it another way when he talks about our sins. That's another way of looking at it. We were were sinners. We were were committed rebels that deserve death. And so here we see again that God's love is not mere sentiment. And therefore, true love is not mere sentiment precisely because He responded to that need. He responded to that problem. He sought the well-being of these people that he loved. In a significant, meaningful way. The text says that it must be manifested. It was revealed. It was made visible. It wasn't just God going, I love them people. I hope it works out okay for them because I really... I really have a fondness for them in my heart. He manifested this love in two ways. First, He sent His Son. I liken this to a a man who sends his son off to war. His only son. Okay, This is not the Father sending Jesus on a vacation. Go have a great time down in Mexico. Party it up and live well. Enjoy the beach and soak up some sun and play some volleyball and maybe you'll meet a nice girl. This is not that. This is the father sending his son into a bastion of rebels. Okay? This would be like Gaddafi sending his son into the midst of all of the protesters and rebels. But he's not sending him wired with a bomb, and he's not sending him with guns, and he doesn't have a little thing in there so he can point the laser-guided missiles into it to destroy everybody. He's coming to save. He sent his son into the midst of the rebellion to save some of the rebels. We couldn't fix the problem precisely because we are the problem. We can't fix our sin problem precisely because it's a part of us. We need someone else to come and to fix it. Okay? 
Imagine for a moment we didn't hire a good contractor. Okay? And there were serious flaws in what was rebuilt here in our building. Do you think I'd call Steve Boyer up and say, or, or Randy, or Topher, dudes, we've got to get that guy back to fix this. <laughs> I think I would be going, we need to get another contractor, because this one clearly is incompetent and malevolent. He can't fix this problem because he revealed that, and he created it. <laughs> okay, It's not like, oh, the paint's the wrong color. We're talking about like the wiring doesn't work or something like that. That's us. The wiring doesn't work. Our, our problems are not superficial. They're serious and they're deep down inside. And so we can't fix them. You know, we're the ones who made it. <laughs> Jesus come, has to come to fix it. And so he's not just sent, but he is a propitiation or atoning sacrifice for his people. That's the second way in which the love of God is made manifest. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Okay? And I just got a little bit ahead of myself. But Jesus removes the wrath of God. Okay? There's a second problem. Not only uh, did we not love God, but secondly, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, Ephesians 2, but also here. Because one of the things he says, in order to give us life, which means we didn't have it. We're the, we were the walking dead. Spiritually, we were dead. Physically, we were alive. We needed life, and so He sends His Son to die for our sins, but also to give us life. Because have you ever seen a dead body resuscitate itself? No. He needs to be outside of us to resuscitate us, to bring us, actually to resurrect us spiritually that we might have life. And so we see that God's love for us was costly. It's costly to the Father because He's sending out His Son. He's sending out His Son to die. It's costly for Jesus because He's leaving the presence of His Father. That's where He wants to be. And He's coming to die a painful, horrible death. It was costly to the Trinity to love us. But love us, they did. And so God loved His unloving and unloving, unlovely people by removing their sin and by granting them life. Which brings us to the third point. The third idea that, that really is important here. And that is that God's goal is to build a community of love. That phrase that we touched upon briefly, God is love. What does that mean? But it means that he has existed forever in a community of love unseen by man. That was one of the things that I kind of tripped on a little bit this week. I had to think about it a little bit. Why in the world does John keep bringing up the fact that God has not been seen by anybody? He lives in this unseen community, the Trinity, this unseen community of love, which we obviously can't see. We are called to love, but unless we see what love looks like, we'll never know what it is. And so that's part of why God manifested or revealed that love. Okay, 
he through the atonement, he gives us a picture of what kind of really goes on in the Trinity. And not only that, Jesus is bringing us into that loving community that is the Trinity. We're going into that relation, that community of love. We're being brought into it. Okay? Uh, we're not equals in this community of love, but we are beneficiaries of this community love. God loves precisely because He loves. It is not due to any loveliness on the part of the beloved. We see this particularly in Deuteronomy um, when uh, Moses is trying to explain to these people why God loved them. He said, "God, the Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. How's that for an answer? Why did God love you? Because He loved you. But it's not because you were big and strong. He says it some, something similar in Deuteronomy 9. Understand then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. And so God didn't love them because they had, to, had their act together. He loved because He's love. Okay? And so we see that Jesus comes to, to bring people into this eternal community of love. And so it is as beloved people, which is Paul keeps bringing that up. He keeps reminding them, you're a Christian. You're beloved. You have been loved by God. And John is saying, I love you too. Because you have been loved, now love. Not love so that you can be loved. And that's the work, that's the way, that's how the gospel is so different from every other religion. Every other religion says, love so that you will be loved. Be loving so that you will become beloved. But the gospel says, God already did this. Now live it. First comes God's work for you. Then comes God's work in you and through you. Okay. So how, how, how does this sort of play out in this own text? But we, we see, first of all, uh, that they have been, or they had been, according to this perfect tense, born of God. It is regeneration, this concept of being born again that makes us capable of loving one another. We have a new life that is present within us that enables us to love other people. It's not natural, but guess what? God made you a new creation, so now it's natural. What was impossible before now is possible because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but we know God. He has revealed Himself to us. And so we become like the Father in all things, and that includes love. He's, he's at work to make us just like He is. We are to imitate the Father that we know. So there's regeneration, there is God revealing Himself, but there's also this idea of the indwelling. We, he abides in us. The Spirit dwells within us, and, and He doesn't just kind of sit there on vacation. He works in us. He is applying the work of Jesus Christ for us, to us, so that we become loving people. 
that we are putting to death our selfishness and putting on selfless love. Okay? Putting to death our commitment to self and putting on commitment to others. Okay? Regeneration, revelation, indwelling spirit, but we also see this phrase that um, I want to make sure I get it right. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Another way of putting that phrase of perfected in us can be brought to its goal in us, brought to completion. You know? Part of how I understand this is that remember we talked about God is invisible, He's unseen, we cannot see what happens in the Trinity. There's a, there's a glimpse of it, of that love being manifested upon the cross, but it's also supposed to be made visible in the church. That this is supposed to be a community of love, okay, that reflects the realities of the heavenly community of love. That there is supposed to be not just phylos here, not just general attractions, like, hey, you know, I have something in common with this person. They're my buddy. Okay? That's good. We need that here. Okay? There needs, it's not just, we're not just talking about having stergos here, where there's a mutual love and, a, and, a, and a, an affection for one another. That's good. We need it here, but we can't stop there. That's not what God is calling us to. Twice in this passage is love one another. Twice we are told, because we have been loved with this self-sacrificing love, we are to have this same passionate commitment to the well-being of one another at our own expense. That is to mark God's people. Okay, Now at the very beginning, I said sometimes we don't really understand what love is. Okay? And so there are things that we might think are unloving that take place when in fact they really are loving. It's just that we're expecting people to just have a general attraction to us or to have some affection for us. We're not really sure that, that, you know, we don't really want them to want what's best for us because sometimes what's best for us is for, for us to be told where we're going astray. Who wants to be confronted with their sin? Anybody? Anybody like that? It feels unloving, doesn't it? That is why in, this, in the Proverbs it says the wounds of a friend are faithful. Okay, we need, we need to know that because they feel like wounds. It feels like that person doesn't love me. It feels like they've betrayed me. It feels like they're a traitor. I need to know that they, they're faithful. So sometimes our idea of love is completely twisted. And we don't really recognize love for what it is. And so we either reject the love that's offered to us or we don't love others very well. Okay? But keep that in mind. One of the purposes of Christ coming and saving us and leaving us here is so that we become a community 
that is like the heavenly one. Do you get that? Doesn't that go so, so far beyond going to church on Sunday morning? Doesn't that sound a whole lot more interesting and attractive than doing church? I want you to have a, gra- a vision for this. I want you to have a passion for this. I want this to kind of well, just light a fire in your hearts. It's, you know, because only the gospel can produce this. That's it. Because, again, love is from God because God is love. He's the one who must do this. But do we want him to? Because remember, it involves doing this at one's own expense. Becoming a community of love may be frightening precisely because it will call you out of your comfort zone like you would not believe. But let's go. So the world lacks love like God's love. It is also uncomfortable with such a love. But thank God He did not abandon us to our unloveliness and our lovelessness. But He manifested His eternal, infinite, and unchanging love to remove our sin to give us a new life and to make us people who are actually marked by love like His. And so, you know, do do we pass that test? Or do we need new life? Do you pass that test? Or do you need new life? Real love in life is only found in Jesus Christ and everything else is really just sort of a cheap imitation. Looks like leather? Not really leather. looks like a diamond. Not really a diamond. Let's hold out for the real thing. Let's pray. Father, it all, all of this begins in that eternal community of love. Father, Son, and Spirit in ways we can't imagine. Forever together honoring one another reveling in one another, serving one another. I thank you for manifesting such love even as you brought sinners into that community of love. So I ask that you would continue to work in us so that we might be a community of love that reflects all of who you are. Show us what needs to change. And grant us the grace to change. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, who lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.